Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to the live feed. This is a Q&A. I hadn't done one in a while. People were asking me about it. Got some great feedback on Facebook, Twitter about some questions. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, his birthday was this week. Put the picture up of me challenging Dusty at full sell to a bull rope match. That was a 100% rib. I told Dusty I was going to challenge him for a bull rope match. He was the king of the bull rope. I'd done so many of them. Uh, in fact, when we did the bull rope match with Eddie, uh, Vince told Bruce, they called Dusty, who was working for, I think, the other company at the time, and asked him to help you out with a finish. So Dusty actually gave us the finish, despite not working for WWE at the time. I told Dusty, I'm going to come out and challenge you to a bull rope match. He thought I was kidding. I found a rope somewhere, put a bell on it, came out 100% rib. Dusty could hardly keep from laughing. It was a, a fun time with the American dream. I owed him one. Because Dusty, you know, I tagged with Dick Murdoch uh, when I first started. Who was he and Dick and uh, Dusty were one of the greatest tag teams of all time. You ought to see the athleticism of these guys back in the seventies uh, and early eighties. It's unbelievable how good they were and how charismatic they were. So we're in Lubbock, Texas, working for WWE, and Dusty uh, in Triple H are sitting up in the stands. I'm gonna come out on a horse. Now, Vince called me earlier in the week. He goes, can you ride a horse? And I said, if it's got legs, I can ride it. If it's got wheels, I'll drive it. <laughs> I'm not going to say no, but I had ridden a horse several times. Growing up in Sweetwater, we had to round up cattle a few times a year. I worked for a relative on his ranch, and so we rounded up on horseback. Uh, I wasn't good at riding horses, but I knew how to ride a horse. So we want to make sure that that horse, and again, I think I said we're in Lubbock, Texas, that horse did not get scared by the pyro or by the people that were in the arena. So we're going to do a dry run, a rehearsal. So I get on the horse, handler's with me, the horse is shooed, and I don't know that. Well, a shooed horse doesn't need to be on slick pavement or concrete or anything else. So we're walking out and in the back, and the horse is walking on the rubber mats. The minute it steps off on the slick concrete, its legs go out from under it. I'm on the horse. My f- boot is stuck in the stirrup, and I can't get out. The horse goes down. The horse starts kicking these backstage boxes all over the backstage area. The horse gets back up. I'm still on it. The horse goes down again. This time it falls on me. Dusty 
is sitting where he can see what's going on backstage. The people in the ring are waiting on me. They have no idea what's going on. They just know there's one heck of a commotion backstage. Can't figure it out. Dusty's sitting up with Triple H talking about something or just BSing or whatever he's doing, and he's yelling, Rodeo, Rodeo! <laughs> just, well, I'm about to die. So finally the horse gets calm. It lays down. And the trainer comes running out. I'm scared this horse is going to kick me. It kicks, it breaks, whatever. It kicks, you know. The trainer literally talks to the horse and gets me off of it. By this time, Vince and all the people that are in the front, I think Bruce, I'm not sure, probably Briscoe, have come back there. Vince goes, what'd you do to the horse? <laughs> that horse almost killed me. So I sent for the trainer, Larry Heck. He's a trainer, right? Because the horse had scratched his leg pretty bad. And Larry said, who sent for me? He said, well, JBL. And he said, why? He goes, the horse is injured. <laughs> Larry says, I'm not a vet. And Larry actually came out there but really didn't do a very good job doctoring the horse, which I thought he should have done. So when we came out, it was a different horse because that horse was injured. It was on injury reserve at that time. Uh, had to go into concussion protocol. And so I came out on a different horse. That's when the guy led me out. and. We did the whole thing with, I think, Eddie or Ray. I'm not sure who it was, but I think it was in Lubbock, Texas. Got a ton of questions. Uh, Alyssa Owens uh, says, what advice would you give a young wrestler? I don't know. And I don't mean to blow that off. It's just that it's so hard to break in the business now. The advice I would give is work everywhere you can work. Because if you go to one place and you're trained by one person, that's all. You learn one style. That style may be successful. It may not. But when we started, we'd wrestle in Texas, which was very hardcore. We'd wrestle in Memphis, which was entertaining. Japan, which, again, is hardcore. Europe, hardcore. Mexico, which was nothing but flying around and, and the Lucha uh, Libre style. You learned a bunch of different styles. You became a better wrestler. And so, to me, my advice Work everywhere you can work if that's what you want to do as a business. Uh, let's see. Andre Tudor. I uh, can't pronounce your last name, so I apologize. So I won't try. Ask me, did I expect JBL uh, to have the success that it had? Not sure. Uh, not sure that it was going to be successful. Uh, when it first came out, it wasn't successful. You know, back in the day, I had been a champion uh, – you know, every, almost every territory, main event, every territory. But everybody had been. Everybody that came to WWE, almost, there's a few exceptions, had been through the territories and had been successful. That's why you migrated up to WWE or WCW or even ECW uh, at the time, not even uh, RECW at the time. And so I felt like I could do it. I just didn't know if it would work. But the one thing about WWE is the live crowd. So you have a live crowd Four, three or four nights a week. That is a perfect test case to see what's working and what isn't. And after Chavo Sr. and Eddie came up with the heart attack angle with Eddie's mom in El Paso, the next night we went out after that aired, we had a guy jump in the ring, little Hebner, Brian Hebner, punted the guy like, <laughs> like Pat McAfee would. Uh, it was a heck of a kick. And the place was just boiling. And I knew then that, that this was going to work, and it was going to work in a big way. You know, that's why it's so important in the WWE to have road agents, 
Uh, and there's been some great ones. Uh, I think Jack Lanza was there when I was there most of the time. He was the best I ever worked with. Uh, no disrespect to anybody else, but I was with Jack from the start until through JBL. And you got to have an agent that is very good at what they do as far as helping the talent, but also in relaying the messages to the boss and the creative team. And you got to relay that without bias. You know, not that you want a guy to get over. You got to relay exactly what's happening because you have a test case every single night of what happens and what doesn't. Tons of questions out there. Uh, let me see. I've got uh, Ian James asked me, would you wish you would have done more with Ron? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it wasn't up to us. Uh, the office wanted JBL uh, at that time, just Bradshaw, to go on its own. And so Ron and I were just foot soldiers. You know, we did what we were asked. We didn't really protest stuff and didn't really say we won't do this or didn't want to do that. Ron and I worked together um, a lot of times uh, before the APA. So we'd wrestle each other a ton. It wasn't a matter whether we wanted to wrestle each other, but we really didn't want to do the angle where Ron came back for revenge and all that. Neither one of us wanted to do that. You know, we just wanted to kind of separate. It was the perfect heel turn for me, very similar to, say, Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase down in Louisiana under Bill Watts. They knew Junkyard Dog was DiBiase's best friend. He was the best man in his wedding. Ron was the best man in my wedding. It was very similar that fans knew if you turn on your best friend, you're really a bad guy. And that's what we wanted from the Bradshaw character. And, and Ron was so good and generous, as he always was. And so as far as expecting more, yeah, not, not expecting more. Would have liked more? Absolutely. I uh, get a lot of questions always about uh, the brawl for all. Um, Steve Johnson also sent me about having the feud with Ron. I think I just answered that. Um, I love the brawl for all. I had fun in it. Uh, I won three fights. I paid. I got my first house because of the brawl for all. Uh, I was able in Athens, Texas to buy a house for $84,600, I think it was. And my brawl for all winnings were $40,000. Um, was lucky, I think, that Bart knocked me out because <laughs> I think Butterbean would have would have uh, treated me. Uh, we realized at that point the difference between professional fighters and just good tough fighters. And Bart Gunn, great guy and a really tough guy, knocking out all of the talent. It's just the difference when he stepped up into a, a trained professional. And uh, did I like it? Yeah, I loved it. As far as the dark side of the ring, I, look, I, I love dark side of the ring's great. Those guys do a good job. Um, and Venture so that's his story, and that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to get into an argument over with Venture so uh, over over social media or anything else. Uh, Sarah Dunsworth asked me, "Did JBL ever get to me?" No, because I knew when I walked through an airport and somebody looked at me and called me a name that I was doing my job, and much like Larry Hagman would walk through an airport with his cowboy hat on. He wasn't getting anybody to really believe he was J.R. Ewing, but he knew fans wanted to see him as J.R. Ewing. I did the same thing. I was pretty much in JBL character all the time. Right or wrong, that's uh, how we did things back then. Somebody just asked me, uh, do you stay get, get um, guitar crow? Do you stay in touch with Amy Weber? Uh, apparently she's been very successful. Not apparently, she has been. Uh, and I follow her on social media and every once in a while uh, get a note from her. She was really talented. Uh, she was, uh, I didn't know Amy. She got put with me just 
because they found her and she was talented and she, she was perfect in the role and very talented. I still get a few notes from her and I send her uh, notes uh, every once in a while as well. They haven't seen her in a long time. Uh, would love to. Uh, let's see. Uh, more questions. Michelle Falconer, most difficult to learn thing in professional wrestling. Uh, you know, they always say the light goes on. And that's true. It's about timing. It's not about moves. Most people can learn moves. It's about timing. It's about, uh, like I remember one time we were in Canada and Vince asked me, goes, this is when I was JBL, what's your promo? And I had this promo where I tell everybody they suck and America's better and all this blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, no, no, no. He goes, tell them you love them. And I thought about it. I thought, you know, I think that's going to work. And I went out there and I said, I just want you all to know that I love you. I think you're the greatest. So proud of you being our neighbor. And people booed me out of the building. You know, being a heel is not about shouting out, you suck. And people sound, you suck back. You can always get a response. It's about believing that you're the good guy. You know, JBL always thought that he was the good guy. JBL always thought that he was on the right side of everything. And that's what added to people hating JBL was, how can he be that out of touch? And, and to me, it, that part of it, the psychology and the timing, is the hardest thing uh, to learn. Uh, a couple more questions. Um, Michelle Bradley, second or, gener- second or third generation wrestlers. Do they? Have, by the way, Stephen Hobbs, greetings from Abilene, Texas. I was born in Abilene, Texas. Uh, went to school, obviously, at Abilene Christian. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I love Abilene. Love Abilene. Love Sweetwater. It always has a great spot in my heart. Michelle Bradley asked me, do second or third generation wrestlers have uh, a step up on everybody else, or is it hard to live up to that name? And to me, the answer is both. I mean, you look at guys who are second generation uh, wrestlers. Look at Barry Wendell, age 18, headlining matches in, in Florida. Uh, you look at Randy Orton, youngest champion, uh, third generation. Uh, look at uh, Dusty's, uh, both of his kids, uh, Cody and, and Dustin, both done amazing work. But you also have some second generation that weren't able to live up to a very charismatic father. You know, some had different names. Brian Christopher, for example. How do you live up to being Jerry the King Lawler's kid in Memphis? Uh, but he did. You know, he he worked under a different name. They didn't tell people whose kid it was out in the public. Brian made a pathway his own, a, a, a stardom. I mean, it was really amazing. He was a charismatic guy. Later people realized that this was Jerry the King Lawler's kid, but it is tough on these kids uh, to have to live up to their father's name. But, but, but that inherent knowledge of growing up in the business is something that you just can't replace. Uh, let's see here. A few more, a couple more questions. Uh, Bruiser Brody. I never got to meet Bruiser. Uh, Taker tells a great story about his first match with him. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful story. <laughs> uh, and uh, <clears throat> I never got to meet him. I wish I would have. Uh, Stan Hansen is a good friend of mine. Talk so much about it. And don't forget to like and subscribe uh, all the stuff here on uh, YouTube. Gerald Briscoe and I are having a lot of fun telling stories with with guys that we want to tell stories like we're in a car, bar, dressing room is what we want to do. We started during COVID just to tell stories, uh, make people smile. We try not to bear anybody. If somebody wants to bury someone, they can, but (laughs) we don't encourage it. 
We just want to have fun. And some of these stories are legendary. The Freebirds and Gerald Briscoe running over Tommy Wildfire Rich in a car is, is quite amazing. Freebird moonwalking into a fan, the, the, the rooster under the ring in Mexico with uh, Hornswoggle. Uh, one or two more questions. Uh, let's see here. I have them written down. Patty LaBrewery, I got your name wrong again, I know. How many Stetsons did you go through? I have no idea. We always had a stunt Stetson there. So always had a really nice one that I would wear for appearances that cost a few hundred dollars. But the stunt one was, you know, a $50, $60 hat. I always had stunt suits because invariably somebody always, I was the heel. <laughs> I would end up with something on my hat, something on my suit. I had a really nice custom suit I'd wear out in public, but always had a stunt suit in case it was going to get uh, tore up. Um, let's see. Thoughts the first time you met Lesnar? <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> that guy was, oh, my goodness. I say, talk about Abilene, Texas. I was working with Brock in Abilene. And Brock says, I said, hey, Brock, I want to talk to you. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes, your college buddies are here. I'm, I'm going to put you over. I said, Brock, they don't care who goes over. <laughs> he said, I, I can care less. You win, I win. It doesn't matter. I, I said, "There's a, we're going to a place afterwards. And so that's what I was telling him. Brock hit me with a belly-to-belly suplex. And it's hard suplexing a tall guy, not because of weight, but because, you know, you, you end up spiking a guy on his head. Brock caught me, throws me in the suplex. And I asked him before, and I said, Brock, are you sure you can do this? Not strength-wise. It's just the, the logistics of throwing a guy that's really tall. And Brock said, I've been suplexing people since I was five years old. I said, all right. He suplexed me so easily that I got up. I said, do it again. And he grabbed me, and he did it again. And I said, do a third day. And this time I didn't do anything. I just said it. He threw me like a child. <laughs> the strength of Brock Lesnar is different. It's Avenger. <laughs> he should be an Avenger is what he should be. Uh, let's see. I think I answered uh, all the questions. Uh, one thing people ask me all the time about, what is this? Okay. This right here, this guy, Terracotta Warrior. So I go to China. Uh, I love visiting different countries. I've been in 70-something different countries. So I go to China one Christmas. And it's snowing like crazy. Nobody's there. And the Terracotta Warriors, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of, uh, who knows, centuries. The farmer who discovered it was there signing autographs. I found out later they gave him like a few dollars for this great discovery. So I signed an autograph. Nobody's there that day. It's freezing cold, snowing in December. Signed an autograph, gave him like 20 or 30 bucks, which is more than he got for his entire land with this discovery. And I bought this Terracotta Warrior from the guy. It's a replica of the main general. So you know the Terracotta Warriors, they're all uh, different faces, different looks. It's about six and a half feet tall or taller, several hundred pounds. I think it was $700, maybe $750. Wasn't a lot. I got stuck with taxes in Shanghai, Norito, LA, Dallas. You name it, I got stuck with taxes. Got it about six months later in this huge, looked like a, a coffin, this huge, like, Look like one of the uh, UK phone booths, uh, this huge square thing. And sure enough, that was my uh, Terracotta Warrior, and, I, and I've had it ever since. Uh, let's see. Uh, see if there's one more question. Uh, anyway, guys, I appreciate the, the call. There's some questions there, but I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I don't, don't want to slow down the call by reading them uh, too much. We're coming out with some merchandise, Mr. Briscoe and I. I think you're going to enjoy it. The shirt the legendary leader of the pack shirt that guys in the Florida territory would fight over on the side of the road. 
Magnum TA right now owns that shirt. There are all kinds of different champions. Guys will go to that territory just to fight for that shirt, legitimately fight on the side of the road for that shirt. We're going to put out a replica of that shirt uh, once uh, Briscoe and, and I get uh, on the merch store. I have a little problem right now because Billionaire Connie and Eric Bischoff are trying to put us out of business. That's a separate story. Hey, guys, uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on. Uh, appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the Q&A. And uh, look forward to next time I try to answer everything I can. It's me answering on uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, but appreciate you guys. Please like and subscribe if you want to. If you don't want to, have a great day anyway. Thanks, guys.